Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode is really exciting. It takes us to England, which is one of our favorite places, one of my personally favorite places near Oxford. Today, we're going to be talking with someone who I've heard great things about, who is doing very, very, very important work around you know brain injury advocacy and support and awareness. We're very, very excited to welcome Jenny Clark, the co-founder and CEO for Same You. We're going to be talking a lot about why Same You exists, their successes to date, and what's coming in the future, and how Same You is helping to improve the world of brain health. So, Jenny, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's delightful. And thank you for introducing me so kindly. And thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. It's been a while trying to trying to put this one together and coordinate time. So I'm happy that you were able to make the time and to share some of your inspiration with our audience today. So let's get right into it. Tell us about Same You. What's the difference that you really want to see in the world with the creation of Same You? Right. So it's hard to say that in half an hour. <laughs> uh, but we started the charity in 2019. So we are a charity in the UK and in the US. And we started to try and play our part to make a difference in people's recovery after brain injury and stroke. So our vision is that their world understands this huge chronic problem that doesn't usually even cross people's minds. Right. We it's it's a disease state that is just very underdeveloped. And the whole process for taking care of people leaves so many gaps. Right. And so we see this because of our personal experience with my daughter Amelia having had two brain hemorrhages, mm-hmm. one in the UK and one in the US. So we've sort of got quite an interesting personal lived experience, but the majority of the reason we're doing this is because of the thousands and thousands of people who've written to us to share their stories and and to tell us of all the barriers that they have to live through and go through with themselves and their families trying to recover. Yeah, no, thank you for something that I want to really acknowledge to you is I'm sorry to hear that this happened so personally, so close to home to your daughter and to your family, right? Because it it impacts more than the individual, it impacts the family and the community. But I also really want to, on the other side of that, acknowledge you for taking the step forward into this, knowing that and probably acknowledging that this is going to be a lot of work to do something about this, not just for us personally, but as kind of like a servant leader to serve the cause and the unmet need. And I guess I want to ask you, what compelled you to do this, to not just ensure that your family member was taken care of, which obviously is the, you know so important. What encouraged you? How did you go about that process of, because I've been there too. I don't know if you knew that, but I actually started a not-for-profit too. My experience with brain injury is more kind of on the concussion side. And then I had found, or our team had found that the brain can change. It can improve with neuroplasticity. And we'd seen this in the education sector for years. So I'm a former teacher and principal. 
So what was it that compelled you then to say, okay, we're going to take care of our family member, do our best. And also we're going to take the courageous step to start this charity that's not for profit to help the community. What, what was it in you that made you become this co-founder? Well, it was just very straightforward. It was sort of because we realized that our daughter was saved not just once, but twice and mm-hmm. saved from a, a lot of difficulty, as well as actually saving her life. We saw very, very quickly, and we, it was like moving into a world that we had no, no understanding of. Mm-hmm. And so seeing the difficulties that people have and this, the lack of support, it was extraordinary. And the brain is such a precious asset. We Mm -hmm. are living in a world that today so many things can happen, but the way that we look after our brains, the way that brains can be protected is just not of now. I've always been in technology. I'm not a technophobe, but I'm also not a big advocate because from our experience and the experiences of thousands of people, that we work with, it's about the personal touch. It's about the personal intervention so that you feel valued and that you feel listened to. Mm -hmm. But I think that combining great leadership by clinicians and academics and people who are visionary in this field with technology and with determination to make something different. Our vision is, I will talk about our vision, but what we want to try and do is is extreme. And we're very, very small. We're very young and very new. And so what we are trying to do is just play our part and sort of open up this envelope of problems so that more people can understand that one in three people will suffer some sort of a brain injury in their lifetime. And one in three, those odds are, wow, People mm-hmm. just, when we first put that on our website, we had emails saying, you know, you have to take that down. You're not telling the truth. Right. Uh, you know, so it's, there's just such right. a level of lack of understanding. And then, of course, when you actually meet people who uh, are trying to get their lives back together after a brain trauma and seeing that, that it's not like other disease states that have got years of people and clinicians working towards the recovery factor. It's so new and underdeveloped. It's mm-hmm. just so much room for improvement. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm so happy that we're connected in this way because our organization and everybody that's kind of been involved with this podcast are allies on that cause with you and us. And, we, and together, we're still so small. All of the other folks that have been on this podcast, but I feel like there's such strength together. Like in any other cause, when we think about other chronic health conditions, like when we go back and look at some of the things around cardiac disease or, or certain cancers, it takes this level of understanding, this level of collaboration, though, and acknowledgement of the challenge <laughs> and, and then commitment towards working together towards to solve it. So, you know, kudos to you and we're on the same, same page. Well, I think that part of the answer is right under our noses, all of us, because we know how many people have a living with the problem. And so my dream, it's not a vision because I don't know how to do it, but maybe people listening to this podcast might know, there might be somebody, we all need to come together. We need to create a user-led movement. A user meaning somebody recovering from Mm -hmm. a brain injury 
and their families and their friends, because this spreads right across everybody's personal network. Because once you've had a brain trauma, and particularly if you're young, it just impacts every single part of your life. And so we need to all come together to say, this has got to change. We really need people to listen to us. We need health systems. We need governments. And we need people to make a noise, a very, very loud noise, to say it's not good enough. We all deserve better. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And it's a, again, I think it does start where you mentioned you know, earlier, the acknowledgement of the scale of the problem. Because I think for a lot of people, ah, I, I'm not going to have a stroke. I'm, I'm fine. You know what? I'm not going to have, I'm not going to get into a car accident and have a traumatic brain injury. Hmm. Ah, I live a pretty healthy life. I don't think I'm going to get a brain cancer. You know, I'll be fine. And then until it hits home, like with anything, you can't conceive of it. And you also can't conceive of what impact that may have on your life and your community's life. So we look at that almost on sort of the yin and the yang on kind of the, almost like the, the negative challenging side of it. But it's also on the other side of it, the opportunity to raise the awareness and understanding that also we can, by taking steps forwards towards this, we can be more prepared to help serve and support that third of people that are going to continue to need this level of support forever. So it's really, to use a very, very old example, like a Rubik's Cube, there's so many different moving parts and there's so many different ways that you could start to approach this. Because first of all, there's such a lack of awareness of the problem. Yep. There's such a lack of understanding about our brains with you know not only people like you and me who aren't clinicians, but really there is just, it is, it's such a, a science breakthrough that's needed to be able to really develop the solutions that I'm sure will get developed in the years to come. But what before they happen, and there's wonderful work being done with mm -hmm. brilliant neuroscientists, but until that actually is in the mainstream, there are so many biopsychosocial ways of actually helping people feel that they can live a very strong, productive life, even though it might not be the life that they thought they had. I love what you said there. It takes me back to a very personal story. When we started the not-for-profit to help people here in Vancouver, we have a very good public health system here that really does a remarkable job in, in acute care recovery. But once discharged to community, it's actually quite problematic to get access to the kind of services that one might need. And, you know, there was an individual that I had this, the privilege of spending time with when we started a not-for-profit who had had what was initially wrongly diagnosed as a, a brain tumor that may be likely cancerous, but it was actually a bacterial, extremely rare bacterial infection that required multiple brain surgeries and craniotomy. And her occupational therapist, they typically focus on compensatory strategies in the community, meaning steering around some of the function issues, trying to enable the person to participate at the highest level possible in society, which is a great thing. But what ended up happening with her was she came in and did some of this kind of neuroplastic work that we kind of specialize in to up the cognitive baseline so she could be a more able mother and, and wife and friend and community member, which was great. 
but the way she approached it, and I love her phrase, it's her phrase, not mine, is I wanted to reclaim some of who I was before. Just like you were saying, like exactly the same thing. Your baseline may, will likely not be the same as it was before, but that's okay. We can learn to get through that. You were going to redefine what it will be in the future here. And it does not have to be this doom and gloom, you know, there's no options. That's not true because you're right. Science is constantly also moving forward, which is great. And, and gives me a high degree of optimism because I know many brilliant minds are working on this problem. Yeah, absolutely. And all over the world. And I think that one of the things that we see is that if people can hear what has happened to other people in similar circumstances, similar problems, then it gives them a bit of confidence to believe in themselves mm-hmm. because it's self-belief means so much. We know that from our personal experience and we know that from the stories that people email us. And we have got a, a small team of volunteers who do amazingly well. And we have a large pipeline of stories that people have, have said that they would like to share because there is a really important role in talking about a problem that people don't even acknowledge is a problem. Right. And I think that when you've gone through a real trauma and it is life-changing, whatever, whatever happens to you, it's always life-changing. I think just talking about it and trying to have your voice heard is incredible. And so if the smallest thing that we can try and do is to raise the voices of the thousands and millions of people who have got similar problems to my daughter, who has thankfully completely recovered, but she so easily couldn't have. And, you know, we have, you know, a whole reservoir of personal stories about that journey and how difficult that was. Question. So when you think about that, and and maybe this is just part of the journey, were there times, I'm sure there were, were there times in this journey where it was really dark for you and for her? where it was really challenging. What was that like? Maybe help the listeners to understand that because this might help people that are in those moments now to understand what can be possible through advocacy and support. Well, I think it was the darkest moment was, you know, when both problems happened where because it's so sudden. So they're catastrophic to the people involved. There's no other word for it. Right. And the world is full of catastrophe. And sometimes these individual cases can get overlooked but they are so meaningful to everyone. And so the darkest times were really, you know, thinking what would happen next and how would she survive? And then I think that that movement as you, as you go through and, you know, the, your loved one or yourself, you do survive and you have these obstacles in the in recovery journey because they, the scary, scary thing is that it's so uncertain. So nobody, no doctor will give you any certainty about what's going to happen to you. You know, there's a high risk of having a stroke after you've had another stroke after you've had a stroke. Right. There's a high risk of many, many complications. And the fear that we had, I had, my our family had, was mm-hmm. that the hospital said that we really had to be very involved in watching for any negative signs. Right. And so that responsibility fell to our small family. And obviously the clinicians and the doctors, they were obviously doing it. 
but it was just that sense of needing to be involved in her recovery and seeing how she would be okay. That was something very significant. Thank you for sharing that because I think it can it can help people. You know, when you understand that it can be done once, right? Then you start to understand. Well, then maybe it's possible for me too. Like, and maybe I put my efforts towards that. And that's why, again, I really appreciate what you're doing with Same You. And again, later on, we're going to share all the information about Same You, how you can support Same You, how you can access some of the great stories and content that's available through Same You. So we will, we will be getting there. But it, I think it's really important that people start to understand that there is a path forward and there is supports. And thank goodness information is more accessible than it's ever been. Some of the information may not be great out there, unfortunately, but some of it also is really great. And when you click on it and you get access to it, you can start to learn about what could be possible for you. And and also understanding that the other great thing about the brain is that it is neuroplastic. It is changeable throughout a lifetime as we age. And I think that gives me such a great degree of optimism. I've been fortunate to learn from some brilliant people in hosting this podcast that have done remarkable things to improve their overall brain health. So when you think about this work, and obviously a big influence is your personal experience with your with your family and your daughter, but what are some of the other influences that have really led you to take this leadership role and create this beautiful thing? I guess that the main influence is that I can see the need. So that doesn't really make sense in a way, but because I, I've been exposed to the problem, I've got three aneurysms. One is coiled, two, two aren't. My daughter's had um, two aneurysms. And I see then that's just such a small part of the whole problem. And we are lucky that we have got a platform that maybe mm-hmm. some people could listen to. And I think that the uh, outpouring from people when we did launch and uh, and told the story, that made me realize that there's so many people that need support. So if I can play any sort of role in that, and it's obviously going to be a small, small role, we have no plans to create a big charity. We believe that the, the idea is that we should be trying to act as a catalyst amongst many, many different people in the community. Mm-hmm. And so our catalyst idea is that we want to affect change, positive change, by drawing attention to it and taking part in development of three key areas. The first is research into recovery and why people need it. Mm-hmm. The second is in training resources and how people can learn what's needed and get some training programs. And then the third very important one is innovation. So it's not just technological innovation, which is vital, but it's innovation in a way of looking at things differently. And so I've spent my life, you know, my career trying to look at things differently. Didn't always work out and lots of people didn't agree with me, but that was okay. It worked out sometimes. You can't be right all of the time. And so I think that with this, there's just so much room for innovation and improvement, but it starts with a mental attitude. And I think it's the attitude of people who are involved in taking care of people with brain injury to really become more aware 
that even if they physically can't make a huge change, by talking to people in a way that respects the individual and the individual problems and are optimistic in the way that they approach other people's futures, then you can make a huge, huge difference. And I'm not throwing any shade on any clinician or any doctor. I'm just saying the stories that we hear are people just need that reassurance uh, that they can do, just as you say, that the brain has got the power to heal. And we have, as humans have got the power to heal ourselves, but we do need help. Uh, I love it. I mean, so, so well said. And, you know, it, it reminds me of there's a really brilliant mind out there who speaks a lot about mindset and her name's Dr. Carol Dweck. And, you know, her, her work is really focused on this growth mindset. And along with that comes this concept of, and I think it relates very closely to what you're talking about around mindset and innovation, that as we unpack that, it's easy to say, I'm going to work towards this growth mindset, but in practice, it can be hard. But along the way, as we're climbing that mountain, it's really praising that effort towards fulfilling that, that goal, that vision, that mission. And as long as we're clear on why we're putting in that effort and we're making that effort positively, we are not always going to be right. I love that you said that because that's so true. But as long as we're continuing to fall forward, when we make a slight misstep, we'll learn and then we'll move more forward towards where we're looking to go. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And so we work with Spalding Hospital, Rehab Hospital in Boston. I don't know if you know them personally, but I do. Yeah. Great yeah. organization. And Dr. Ross Safont, when we met him, he was running the clinical side, but now he's president of the organization. And right. so we have a three year funded program that we ask for support and we put it into a three year program uh, that is looking at the resilience of young adults after brain injury. I love it. And it's so important because so clearly brain injury happens to anybody at any time but there is you know within this whole wrapper of problematic issues you know there's if you're young you know you haven't even got your own identity sorted out and then you have something traumatic happens to your brain which changes your trajectory to how do young people really cope and survive and thrive and so ross and his young investigators are taking a little look at that i love it to see what interventions could maybe be developed. Oh, this so I mean, it's funny, the world's so small. So we're doing a little bit of work in Boston as well right now with another neuropsychologist there. And I've, I've chatted with Ross in the past. So on another call, it, it, this all came up earlier this week. So it's funny how small the world can be sometimes. You know, when you think about resilience, I want to kind of spend a little bit of time there. One of the other researchers that I really think is interesting is Dr. Angela Duckworth, who's done a lot of work on grit. And, and really understanding the importance of that particular aspect of resilience. Maybe talk a little bit more about that, uh, not just from the application of the individual with the brain injury. And again, you'll see a lot of stories on, on Same You on the website that are amazing. But maybe also from your perspective, because it takes a lot of resilience to do the advocacy and innovation work that you're doing, but also 
uh, for the individual. So maybe talk a little bit about what you observe in resilience from individuals with brain injury, and then also for the advocates and support people. So I think that the stories that we have on our site and the others that we published into a report. So we had a clinical neuropsychologist take anonymized stories from about 1,400 brain injury survivors and their families who'd written to us just because they did when we launched and said that the reason they were writing was that the idea of having a brain injury, particularly when you're young, is so hard to come to terms with that people need examples to normalize. And that, to me, resiliency and normalizing and acceptance is really critical. And I think that people don't put enough emphasis on the whole mental health issues around brain injury. And we know that, you know, that you have cognitive issues, you have speech and language issues, you have physical problems. But I think that the thing that wraps it all together that is really, really lacking in any sort of volume to get equal access for people, and that's so important, it's equal access, is is anything that you can term mental health. Now, when we started the charity, we met people who were explaining the issues and calling it emotional recovery, emotional rehabilitation. Clinical neuropsychologists are amazing people. There just aren't enough of them. We need to grow a lot of them. The language is so important. And so the idea of brain emotional recovery is really hard to work out. It's even harder when you don't know about the problems people face when they have a brain injury. And because it's so fragmented and there's so many problems you can have, it's really difficult. There's not an easy vocabulary to explain. And if you can't explain it easily, people can't understand it easily. So resilience and acceptance and the energy to move yourself forward to get better, to be able to take control of some part of your recovery is really, really important. And I think that if there's one thing I can say today, it's about how do we all acknowledge the mental health issues that people have and that what are we going to do about it? And I know what we want to do about it. And I could tell you that if you want to hear. Oh, yeah, don't don't leave us hanging. Thank you. I love that kind of peek into how you envision resilience. But yeah, I want to hear about, you know, how. Yeah, please keep going. There is a project that we are trying to get funded at the moment. And that is working in the UK with UCL and UCLH. So they are leading university, leading hospitals. And what we are trying to do is to create a blueprint, a model that can be replicated anywhere. So one of the great things about the UK is the NHS and the ability to have many people come through a program that can have the opportunity to be part of a clinical trial. In many other countries where health services are paid for, it's very, very difficult to get the volume of people that will show that data to make an impact. So what we are, are planning is working with teams, rehab teams at UCL, to create a new pathway of care 
that focuses on mental health recovery, both for the survivors and for their families and their loved ones and their carers. Because, as I said earlier, you know, it just doesn't happen to you. It happens to your, everybody around you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very difficult for carers and family members to come to terms with what's happened. And I think they need as much, uh, much different sorts of support as possible. And so we're trying to create this pathway and move to, through into a feasibility study and start a pilot about a new way of caring for people. Yes. This is why so it's funny how, again, I'm so happy we connected because probably heard a little bit of some of our story as to how our team got into doing some of this work. You know, our background was in education and I, you know, full disclosure, I've learned a lot. I, I kind of thought the brain was relatively fixed when I first got into this work. But I mean, I'm proof that the mind can change and the brain can improve. But, you know, over the years, we found that through deploying really good neuroplastic work, again, one of our, my big mentors, Barbara Aerosmith-Young in this work, who I think is just brilliant, mm-hmm. through a good focused system of care that's well-tracked and measured, the individual can actually change their brain. And a lot of time, what I found, and it does relate to mental health, but I think mental health is also very closely connected with cognitive health. That's not often talked about. And I think it needs to be because and I'll tell you why. The reason why I think it needs to be is because when one's cognitive health can improve, one can improve more independently their mental health because they have more of the cognitive capacity to benefit from more some of the more traditional mental health strategies. So I think that interplay is very important to talk about. I say, I see, I think you have something to say about that. No, I completely agree. And I think that some of the exciting work that can happen is looking at all the different touch points that the wellness industry, and it is an industry, looks at and helps people with, and really putting that into an offering, into a solution to a set of services that focuses not just conventional clinical therapies, but really looks at all of the the different ways that you treat people as a human, because as one of our patient survivors said to us, your brain injury just doesn't happen to the brain, it happens to the whole person. And one of the things that we see is really missing all over the world is that people, it's so hard to acknowledge that. It's so hard to offer holistic care that is motivating, that's inspiring, that helps you want to live a life, even though it's a different life. Oh, I love it. It's so true, you know, and and I think that, you know, after this call, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to help you with this cause as well. I'm really happy we got connected. There's a lot of great minds out here doing wonderful things about this work. And I think something I really like about what you've done and your daughter's done and your team has done over there and the survivors that have been vulnerable enough to share their stories have done is they've they've started to create the yellow brick road. you know, a path that others can then get involved with and, and follow, but can also lay more bricks (laughs) towards the fulfillment of the vision that we're trying to get towards. And I think that's really exciting. And I think it's really awesome. So when you think about, you know, maybe if there was one sort of story that maybe isn't your daughter's story, that somebody else, another individual that your daughter is and you inspired, and you provide the platform for them to share their story. Is there one or maybe two stories that have really even surprised you <laughs> about what's possible? Well, I think I'd like to answer that in a slightly different way. 
Of course. Because uh, during COVID, we were asked if we could come up with something and fund something that would help people who are being forced to leave hospital, where hospitals are trying to you know, make way for COVID patients. Right. So UCL, the stroke unit, UCLH, had to really just get through people as quickly as possible. And so we funded and worked with clinicians to come up with a group neuro rehabilitation online. And so the stories there are the ones that really give me tremendous positivity and hope. So it's nothing to do with same use, nothing to do with my daughter. It's all about, you know, putting people together and enabling innovation to happen. Because so many people have got so many brilliant ideas. And it's just about everything is about timing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Either about timing or funding. And we were able to create uh, the opportunity for the rehab therapists to do something they hadn't done before, which was to take a simple, well, it didn't used to be simple, but a simple Teams call, a Zoom call, it doesn't matter about the technology up to a point, because I think it really does matter about the technology. And I think there's huge benefits of having customized technology. But nevertheless, the core of it is that human connection. So we had people of 10, 12 people on the screen at any one time, all together, didn't know each other. They were roughly a few weeks after leaving acute hospital and they were not prepared for it. They were of various ages that had strokes mainly, but also mm -hmm. some acquired brain injuries as well. And so they had a program as if they were actually in a day rehab center. So it was your physiotherapy. And the great clever way that they did that was that there was two physiotherapists, one actually giving the exercises, and obviously it's mixed abilities. And then there was another physiotherapist watching and able to take down the details and to make the notes to make sure it was not something that was just glossed over and that it was personalized. And so we had that wonderful approach. And then they went through speech and language. They went through all the different disciplines that you need to help people. And one of the great results was the Carers Cafe. So a wonderful clinical neuropsychologist that we work with. She's a wonderful clinician, but she's also a brilliant human. And so it was about now, okay, you've witnessed your, your family member, your loved one having this therapy. Now, how about you? So I think one of the, the mm. things that really has made me inspired by people is that their, their willingness to look after people and to take care and take the responsibility to help their loved one and their family member get better. Oh, I love it. I mean, we could stop there because that's a perfect place, but we won't because what we want to do is we want to ensure that people are better understanding how to get involved. Because I think that, again, a real theme that's been woven in here is action and action towards the cause. And so for people that are out there listening, they're inspired by you and your message. You know, how do people get in touch with you? How do they support what SameU is doing? Because SameU is small now, but SameU is, is going to get bigger because the cause is so big. So well, why, don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay, so it's sameu.org and there's info at sameu.org. So if you go to our website, which is managed by one person, wonderful Claire Roberts, who is just the mainstay of, of SameU. Don't know where we'd be without her and without Shell Martin, who's the other full-time person. So Claire and Shell, that's SameU. 
So we're very, very small. But we do have tremendous volunteers around the world. We have about 16 volunteers at the moment doing all sorts of great things. So what you can do to get involved is a couple of things, really. The first thing is spreading the word. So going onto our site and letting people know that we're here. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you if you're a clinician and you would like to donate a video that shows people certain aspects of recovery. We would love it if you uh, are a charity or a not-for-profit or indeed an organization that can help people. Tell us about yourselves. We Everything is about collaboration. We'd love it if you have got a loved one or you would like to tell your own story and we could get that together. And we're also just starting a buddy system. So if people are interested in that, whether you have had a brain injury or you, you know, recently or in the past. So what we're really looking for is how to spread the word, but we really do need money. We do need funding. And so if there was somebody out there that really wanted to make a major difference and get involved in our very small charity and help us collaborate with other people, mainly in the US and the UK, and to take this forward and to bring education, research and innovation together and help us with funding, that would be the best possible awesome. news. I love it. I love it. So please, please, all the all the information will be in the show notes. So it'll be very clickable for you. So you can just go, you know, scroll over and click to get involved and, and to get supporting this important, important cause. The other thing that I think I'd like to ask people do is please, please download Jenny's episode here, share it within your communities, tag same you at it to help to spread the word, whatever social platform you're using, it doesn't matter. Same use on all of them. So please get it out there and share it because the thing that is so challenging for us, you and I, I think both, I, I mean, if I'm wrong, correct me. It, that's one of the things that's so incredibly challenging is when we hear from people in the community that have kind of lost hope, but they haven't yet exhausted some of the services that are now becoming available. And so we need to spread the word. We need to educate because yeah. so many people, sadly, when we talk about this one in three where we started, remember two thirds aren't really, or a lot more than that, are not aware of what can be possible and the kind of services that can be accessible once discharged from acute care. Totally. Help us start a movement. Help us really make some change by calling it out and saying, this is so needed, such a huge unmet need. I want to thank you again, Jenny. Humbled by your action. I think it's so inspiring. I love it. It's a small world out there. And this is going to see, you know, thousands of people are going to are going to listen to this and, and take advantage of your wisdom and what you've done. And, you know, get involved. You know, if this is a cause that you're interested in, my encouragement to you is go for it. Click on the link. Go for it. <laughs> right. And get involved because there's a lot that you can do and you can actually help to change the way things are done. And that's the exciting part. There's this level of agency that you've got that you may not be aware of that you could actually help change people's lives. So thank you again. We'll see everybody on the next episode. Download, share it. And thank you again, Jenny, for your time. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this 
podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neuro rehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.